Good morning, church. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the elders at SBC. Um, when Matt said, let's do a sermon series on, on the Song of Songs, my uh, heart skipped a beat. I went home and I, I prayed hard. And um, I must say, we're, I think we're about four weeks in, five weeks in. It has been such a blessing to uh, listen to the preaching, to see Jesus in the text. Um, it's been an encouragement to my own heart, my relationship with the Lord, God speaking to me, challenging me. And I hope this morning it happens for you. Um, this book is a collection of poems. It's not one poem, it's several poems. And we've actually just finished the first one. Uh, when Joey finished last week, he ended in chapter 2, verse 7. And the first poem starts in chapter 1 and ends at chapter 2, verse 7. And in that first poem, it's um, a story of this lady who's married but is learning. It's a newlywed relationship. She's learning to get to know her husband. And there's this part of the chapter where he's not there and she wants to find him. But she's carrying blemishes. She's carrying issues from her past. She doesn't feel um, uh, approachable. And then she enters into his chambers. She enters into his presence and she starts to smell of his fragrance. She starts to enjoy the fruit of being in relationship with him. She sits in the shadow, in his shadow, and is protected. And she's learning to get to know who he is. And it's very similar in our walk with Christ. When we come to Christ, when you first believed, um, uh, Paul says that we are betrothed to him. We are married. There is going to be a wedding feast in heaven uh, that you cannot imagine when we get to glory. And the church, the bride, is with her groom, Christ. And... Right now, that relationship's already started, but we're in this phase of, we don't know him yet. Paul says, I want to know him. And that's after all of his years of ministry and service and preaching, he still says, I want to know him. We are learning to know him. And I pray that today, as we read this text, he might come and speak to you in a very special way. The second poem, we're going to read is uh, chapter 2, verse 8, and we're going to go up to chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, you're going to notice it's a bit different to the first one. Uh, in the first one, she's away from him, and then she seeks him, and she finds him. In this one, the opposite happens at first. Let's read it together in chapter 2, verse 8. should be on the screen um, for you as well. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove 
is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies, until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The first thing we see in the text this morning, and my first point is an unexpected visit. He is not with her. It's a new poem. At the end of chapter, it seems like the same chapter. So at the end in verse 7, chapter 2, she's been in his presence. She sat in the sh his shadow. She's eaten of his fruit. This relationship is in blossom. But in verse 8, he's not there. And she's not looking for him. Later in the chapter, we'll see her looking for him, and she has looked for him before. But this is an unexpected visit. She's on her own, she's somewhere, and she hears his voice from afar. She says, uh, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over mountains. He's quite far away if he's coming from the other side of the mountains. It's an unexpected visit. And I want to say to you, there's times in our walk with Jesus where like our lady has found in the first poem, after diligent pursuit of him, in the word and in prayer, we might find him in a very special way. You might hear his voice speaking truth into your heart. You could feel his nearness, feel his protection, taste the fruits. He promises that when we seek him, we find him. But there are other times, and that's what's happening to her here, when he comes by total surprise. You're not searching for him, but suddenly you hear his voice and you can experience a wonderful moment with him almost out of the blue. I remember an unexpected visit. I was 17. I was in our youth group at church. There was a beautiful blonde girl. Her name was Jasmine. And I liked her a lot. She told me she was going on a Jesus march. Didn't know what that was. I was unchurched. Never been on a Jesus march before. Just started coming to church myself. But I was happy to go on a Jesus march because Jasmine was there. And I remember marching around the city, carrying our banner, 
Jasmine carrying the banner on that side, me carrying the banner on this side. And we got to the end of the march and we got to Buffalo Park Cricket Stadium. And there was the stage and there was this band. They were average at best. And this was, I don't know if you've ever attended worship outside. It can be quite difficult to engage. I didn't know the songs. You ever felt like that in a worship service? You don't know the songs? Jasmine also left early. So there I am. I wasn't with my own transport. I couldn't leave early. Don't know this worship team. Don't know the songs. And Jasmine's gone. The, the state of my heart is not really ready to encounter Jesus. And I wasn't expecting him in any way. And then he came. While I was mulling over another missed opportunity, God showed up. I had the most powerful worship encounter of my life. I did not pursue it, was not in the right frame of mind. The environment wasn't particularly conducive to it, but God was there. And he spoke to me, and his spirit washed over me as I worshipped him. I felt him in a way I had never felt him before. We were there for hours, and it felt like minutes. And the youth pastor who picked me up and was going to drop me off eventually comes to me and says, it's time to go, and I did not want to leave. I remember leaving so reluctantly. There was nowhere else I wanted to be. Jasmine was the furthest thing from my mind. It was so good to be in his presence in that special and unusual way. And I remember as we were walking away, I remember turning back and looking down at Buffalo Park. And there was this surfer dude. I didn't know him at all. He wasn't in our youth group, but he had also left at a similar time. I remember him clearly. Long blonde hair, tall, and I'm a bit behind him so I can see him, but we're both doing the exact same thing. We're both looking back at Buffalo Park where we had just encountered Jesus and we were standing there like this. We did not want to leave. I looked at him and he looked at me and we just nodded. We had been with Jesus. A few weeks later, Jasmine attended a mission conference Guess where Mark was? Suddenly he's very excited about missions, very interested in missions, don't even know what missions is. And on the first night, I'm sitting next to her, and the speaker says, uh, whatever you come with, uh, those expectations, God will meet you at them. So if you come with big expectations, God will meet you at big ex with big expectations. If you come with few expectations, then well done, you'll get that too. And I was immediately convicted because I knew I'm sat here next to this girl. My only thought and expectation or hope is we'll get together. We never do, by the way. And um, I'm convicted. And I remember going home that night and uh, I prayed a very feeble prayer. Most of my prayers were feeble. And I just said, Lord, if there's something you want to do in my life, you can do it. And I went back the next day. And I'm honestly telling you, it was a three-day conference. I don't remember Jasmine after that. She might have been there. She might not have been. She's faded from my memory. What happens is God comes and he speaks. And he calls me. 
He points out to me, he says, Mark, I want to use you on the mission field. And all of my plans change. I was an academic. I've still got my magma cum laude blazer. My wife thought I was lying about it. My dad gave it to me after all these years. So it's hanging in my cupboard. I'm going to use it to try and inspire my son to push on. But uh, I came from a wealthy family. My dad was preparing for me to go study in the States. And all of that changes when God called me. Unexpectedly. When I was thinking about something else. My life trajectory changed the day he showed up unexpectedly. Don't hear me wrong this morning. We are meant to seek his face. He says, come after me with prayer and fasting. Call unto me and I will answer you. If God feels far from you this morning, seek him with all you have, as the lady does in the first poem. But what we find here, which is also true, is that God shows up sometimes when we least expect it. Maybe you've come here this morning not expecting to meet with him at all. I mean, I don't think so. We don't have a lot of young people here, but maybe you're here for a jasmine. I was. Maybe you have no expectations on God this morning. May he be gracious to you and surprise you. May you hear his voice. May he come to you like one who leaps over mountains and hills. And when he comes, nothing can stop him. I want to spend a moment talking about this husband who runs. Because that's what he's doing in this moment. He is leaping over mountains and hills to get to the one he loves. I lived in the Middle East for two years. In Middle Eastern culture, it is shameful to run. Ignorant children run. Only the ignorant. They actually have a word for it. There's a special word for children where it includes the adjective ignorant. So you, you will use that word. You're saying ignorant child. Okay? A, a child who's starting to learn will, will also learn. You don't run. Running is for slaves. Running is for servants. Running is for um, people who uh, are trying to do something for the important people. So you never see men of stature running. In fact, they intentionally move slower than everyone else. It's a status thing. I taught at a school in Oman, and the school celebrated their, their Founders' Day. And again, this is a marching sermon for some reason, but we went, we marched around the school, in the streets, around the school. And again, we had banners. And, we, and they, I was the English teacher. They were proud of me, so they put me at the front. Okay? But we're in this line. And I knew, because I've gotten used to the culture by now, I've got to move slow. Do not bring shame onto the school. Running is shameful. Walking normally is frowned upon. You walk so slowly to make sure people get the message that you, this school is important. And, and when the children, because shame, they're little, they're like five, six. When they, when they start to be the ignorant children, they get clapped. When they start to move too fast, they get clapped because of the shame that they're going to bring onto the school. We walk down one street... And it took all day. It was the slowest march. And I like trying not to laugh as I'm participating in this because I'm like, this is ridiculous, but this is the culture. And the only thing I can compare it to in the West, Western culture, I've seen something similar. And if you're not a sporty person, I can't help you. A lot of my illustrations come from sport. 
But um, in football, there is a player. He is in my team, so I, I know this well. His name's Virgil van Dijk. He's a defender. He is the best defender in the world. Hands down for the last forever. And at the end of every match, he's always a 10 out of 10. And the compliments I've heard multiple times, and this might surprise you, and so I want to explain it. You know what they say about him? He never ran. He's playing professional football against the best in the world, and he's considered the best. And at the end, they want to give him the man of the match award and say, you never ran. And some of you are frowning, and I'm glad, because I'm hoping this confuses you for a second, and I will explain it to you. Do you know what it means when the defender never runs, and it's still 0-0, zero, zero? or 10-0, whatever, and he hasn't? It means he's always in the right place at the right time. When you run, you've already made a mistake. You've, you're now catching up. You're now having to fix your mistake. This guy is imperious in his play. He's always standing there. There's, there's some players, they, they have clips of the, the guy passes to the striker. The striker just sees Virgil van Dijk and he just throws his hand up and doesn't even try. He just stands there. He's always in the right place at the right time. And when he moves, he moves so uh, graciously, effortlessly, but you can't get the ball off him. If he has to run, it's because he's already made a mistake. Consider God. Does he have to run? Is he ever out of place? Does he panic? Even when war breaks out in heaven, Michael beats Satan. I want you to understand this. The world thinks there's this battle between good and evil, and it's God on this side and Satan on this side. It's rubbish. God has no opponent. Satan can't even beat Michael who is another angel, which is on Satan's level. And Michael wipes out Satan, and the angels fight the demons, and the bad guys lose. God sits on his throne, immovable. He cannot be challenged. The immovable God, who is sovereign over everything, does run when he is running to you. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son and the son taking the inheritance. You know it well, so I'm not going to go into great detail. And then squandering it all and makes the decision to come back to be a servant. I will come back and work in my father's house. A lot of you are acting like servants still, even though he calls you a son. And I know that because that's what I do. I'm far more comfortable in this house. I'm here, but as a servant. And when that father sees that son coming back, even though he doesn't deserve it at all, he runs to him in that tunic. This is a Middle Eastern story. Middle Eastern culture. Father running to his son because he's coming back. That's what's happening for the lady in this story. This husband is running to her. But the second thing I want to say to you this morning is it's so important the words that he says to her. In verse 10, he speaks, and we've got to treasure these words. We've got to try and learn what we can from them because they're words for us this morning. 
And he says this, it's a phrase that struck me most in my prep for you. In verse 10, it says, arise and come away with me. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The second thing I think God wants you to hear this morning is that the winter is past. And what does that mean? There are many winters in our lives. The winter of tribulation, winter of loneliness, sickness, sin, failure, grieving. During these times, God often feels far away. I was listening to a lady share a testimony, a worship leader on YouTube, and she'd lost her father during uh, the pandemic. And um, she just said, I, I was so angry that I couldn't even pray. She tried to pray. She'd go on these walks and try and pray, but words wouldn't come because of the grief. We might find it difficult to pray because we're angry and disappointed with what we're going through. I remember a very difficult winter in our church. If you've been in our church for 10 years, you'll know what I'm speaking about. And it was a long winter. It lasted three years. There were long nights. It was a painful, broken road. I was teaching at George Randall Primary at the time, and we had a secretary. Her name was Alta. She was a godly lady. And I had a dream. I feel like Martin Luther King as I say that. And in my dream, Alta asked me the weirdest question. She says, why are you building a snowman? And then I woke up. And I don't know if it's ever happened to you. It's, it's happened very rarely to me, but it does happen. It's happened three times where I'll wake up from a dream and go, God, God just spoke to me. I didn't know what it meant, though. I just knew God had spoken. What does that mean? God's just told me, why, or asked me, why are you building a snowman through this godly woman, Alta? I know what I'm going to do. That day, I go to Alta, and I say, Alta, you won't believe what happened. Last night, God spoke to me in a dream through you, but I want to know what it means. So um, tell me what it means. Doey blinks. Well, what did I say? Well, you said, why are you building a snowman? What does that mean? I mean, the logic is flawless, right? Alta said it in the dream. Alta has to know. <laughs> she had no clue what I was talking about. And... Um, I often smile when I think back to it that I, I thought that was the first place I should go to. Because I go home and I pick up my Bible and I say, God, you spoke to me last night, but I need to know what it means. And I'm in what book? Song of Songs. What chapter? Chapter 2. What verse? Behold, the winter is past and I realized what God was saying to me why are you building a snowman spring is in the air don't you find it interesting that she needs to be told that the winter is past shouldn't it be obvious But in my experience, we tend to stay in hibernation longer than we need to. And I do think the Lord is speaking to some of you today. 
you need to hear that the winter you have been in is past and you can choose to come away and be with him. That's the words as he runs over the mountains to her. The first thing he says to her is, your winter is past. Arise, come and be with me. If God hadn't told me my winter had passed, I would have stayed there far longer than I needed to. Don't make that mistake. May his voice speak to you this morning. May the winter of your heart not be prolonged. Rise and come away with him. The voice of the turtle dove. You know what represents the turtle dove? It's the spirit. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land again. The spirit is moving. He is speaking. Come and be with him. May affections for him rise in your hearts. And you might say to me, but my winter has not passed. My tribulation continues. My grief remains. Sin runs rampant in my heart. And I want to say to you, sometimes the Lord speaks to us before time to prepare our hearts. I had my snowman dream in October 2017. My worst year was 2018. 2017, 2016, 2015 were tough. But my worst year was 2018, but the Lord had already spoken. And He spoke before time to prepare my heart. You know what happened to me in 2018 after the Lord said, stop building a snowman? I stopped leading a small group for the first time in my life. I pulled out of small group leadership. I stopped attending elders' meetings. I said to the elders, I can't. There's too much hurt and brokenness that I've got to work through. I started attending counseling. I was fighting for my marriage. All because of church and trying to help church. I was in the dark night of the soul that whole year. And at the end of 2018, I had a choice to make. And I made the right choice because the Lord had spoken a year earlier. And he had told me, Mark, don't keep building that snowman. And the time came when even though I still felt hurt, even though I still felt, felt broken, I made the choice to go back into the vineyard and continue to do what the Lord had told me to do. Because I wasn't going to build a snowman any longer. I was going to trust that the Lord was right. He had said, spring is in the air. And it's been true, church. The fact that I'm standing here preaching to you today and am a pastor in this church after that uh, season is a miracle. It's God's faithfulness in my life. The winter had ended. And I really think he's speaking to some of you through that today. Are you building a snowman with spring in the air? Hear his voice this morning. The winter is past. Rise, come away with the one you love. The time of singing has come. That's what it says. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. May the church rise and bear fruit and give forth the fragrance of Christ. He then says to her, My dove, come out of the rocks and the crannies of the cliff. Why is she hiding there? 
So he's coming to her. He loves her. He wants her to come and be with him and experience the new blossoming uh, fruits and love of a relationship with him. And she is hiding in the mountains. You know why animals hide in mountains or people hide in mountains? People will also hide in mountains in times of fear. When they're afraid, they want protection, they want to be hidden. What is she afraid of? In the garden, we see Adam and Eve hide from God. Why did they do that? They became aware of their sin and nakedness. Probably the main reason you and I hide is because of an awareness of sin within us. Some of you have expressed difficulty in accepting what this book is presenting, that God would see you this way, that He would love you like this. And one of those reasons we struggle, and I get it too, is because there's awareness of brokenness and sin in me that goes, God, I know you love me here, but it's hard for me to accept it in a deeper way because I also know all of the stuff that's wrong with me. I'm more comfortable serving you. I'm more comfortable hiding away a bit in these rocks than actually coming out and being in relationship with you in a deep way. And he beckons her. Come out. Listen to what he, what he says to her. He says, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and, and your face is lovely. It's hard for us to believe this is true. The other day when Matt said, we're going to do Song of Songs, you know what happened? I go home and I'm pondering the Song of Songs. I'm pondering my relationship with Christ. I'm looking at Anita going, that's a, an intimate, close relationship I've got. She's w- busy in the kitchen and I often think about her and I it's a, I praise God. I say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful woman you've given me. And while I'm looking at her and admiring her and thinking of all of the wonderful things she is to me, I feel the Spirit say to me, that's how I look at you. That's how I look at you. And you know what I did with that thought, that wonderful, marvelous thought? I pushed it away. Because as soon as it landed in my heart, I went, but God... How? Why? There's brokenness here. There's sin here. You surely can't see me that way. You can't look at me like that. And yet he does. He says, your face, shall I shift marks? He says, your face is beautiful. Stop hiding. Come out. Your voice is sweet. And you might be going, but there's sin. He knows about all of it. He knows every single sin you carry. Every single piece of brokenness in you. Here, the husband says to her, catch the foxes. He knows about them. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. For our vineyards are in blossom. It's n- God's not coming to you saying, I see you as beautiful. I want you to be with me. But it's like he is love blind and misses all the problems. He's not going to wake up the next morning and look at you and go, oh, no, I made a mistake the night before. He knows everything that's wrong with us. And he is not surprised by any of it. And he says, come to me. And we know that he knows it, and he says it to her. Yes, there are foxes. And these foxes are important. He doesn't say ignore them or leave them. He says deal with them. 
catch them because they ruin the love in our vineyard. The sin you and I wrestle with matters, but not in a way that it is going to stop God from coming to us and calling us out to be with Him, but it matters because when we let those foxes run free in our lives, it eats all of that fruit, and there's this anemicness towards God. And you're struggling with sin this morning. We all are sinners. And I want to encourage you, when God says, catch the foxes, He's not telling you to do something you can't do. He's telling you to do something you can do. And He knows why you can do it. A, a sinner, before they come to Christ, can't stop sinning. They can't. If you're judging an unbeliever for um, whatever kind of sin, you need to stop doing that because you can't tell them to stop doing something they can't stop doing. They are doing what they are. There's no point going to an unbelieving young couple and saying you shouldn't be sleeping together. You can, but they don't have power to say no to sin. We can go to Christian young couples and we can demand a higher standard of them. And they make mistakes, but I want to say to you, we should be challenging them. We shouldn't just be accepting it. You can catch the fox because the spirit is inside of you. And he's stronger than sin. And we can overcome sin. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. There were things you struggled with and maybe thought will always be there. And God's grace to you has been. It's not been because of you. It's not been because you figured something out. It's been because he has matured you in your faith and he's given you his spirit and you've learned what it is to overcome. And there's always going to be more to overcome. But the wonderful thing is we get better at catching these foxes. And then we see the fruit that is there that wasn't there because the fox was stealing it. When he says to you this morning, catch the foxes for us, be encouraged. He's telling you, you can do it. And the vineyard will remain in blossom. And this is a really powerful thing that happens next in verse 16. She's been hiding. He comes to her to say, you're beautiful, come to me, I want to spend time with you. Okay, there are foxes, that's why you're ashamed. Deal with them. And listen to what happens next. She says this in verse 16. My beloved is mine, and I am his. That's her speaking for the first time. Everything before this was what he said to her. Her response after this admission of beauty and wanting to be with her, but also deal with the problems, deal with the issues. Her response to him, when you can start dealing with these issues in your life, church, what happens is you grow in your assurance that you belong to him. You already belong to him. It's not because you caught the foxes that you belong to him. You already belong to him, even if the foxes remain rampant and your fruit is nowhere. You still belong to him. You just won't know it. But when you start to deal with sin, this assurance grows. She says, my beloved is mine and I am his. It's a double assurance. My beloved is mine and I am his. There's a greater conviction to what was already true. Friends, don't play with sin. Don't think little of it. It robs you of the deep assurance you long for in your heart. 
He loves you. You are His. Something very interesting happens at the start of chapter 3, and it's my last point. The sermon's called, Now You See Me. And the last point is, Now You Don't. As suddenly as the husband had arrived, just as suddenly he is gone. It's the middle of the night. She says, on my bed, by night. So they've been together. She's, he said, come, you're beautiful. She's come to him. There's been a dealing with uh, sinful issues and there's been an assurance of relationship. And now in the middle of the night, when he should be there, this is not a wake her up, sorry, I'm going out for a, a, you know, a late call at work. And she, He was meant to be there. And when she wakes up in the middle of the night, he's gone. If I do that to Anita, I'm in trouble. I was on in Oman, even when it was planned, you're in trouble when it goes on too long. In Oman, these Omanis, it was my first week there. Hey, come out, hang out with us. I didn't understand how things worked yet. I didn't understand how the timings worked. So I said to Anita, all right, I'm heading out now, 8 o'clock with these guys. See you later, uh, or see you tomorrow morning, but anyway. And uh, we go out to the desert. No, no, no signal on your phone. That's the first problem. The bride started at midnight. That's the second problem. You know you're getting late when the bride starts at midnight. And I'm playing, it's beautiful. I was playing touch rugby. Because they said to me, teach us something from your culture. So we played touch rugby in the desert in Oman with a soccer ball. And these guys running in their tunics because there's no one looking. It was amazing. You know what time I got home? Four in the morning to an angry wife who made it clear to me, we were only there one week. You know, so you're, you don't feel safe. You don't, and she said, you are never doing that to me again. You are never doing that. I didn't ever do that to her again. If a husband does this to a wife, he's a bad husband. Yet God does this to us. And the question I want you to ask is why? So Bryce doesn't know I'm going to do this. He read my sermon notes and I intentionally was cryptic. Bryce, I want you to uh, bring your chair. I want you to put it over here. Thank you. And I want you to go back and stand where you were. You're not allowed to use another chair. You have to just stand there. And uh, you don't know why. And you're going to feel awkward for a while, but trust me. And I want you to move your attention off Bryce. You can look at him for a second. He feels a bit awkward. All right. He doesn't know what's going on. I'm going to try and use this as an illustration in a moment. But I want you to see what she does. So he is gone. And she gets up. She doesn't lie there and go, oh, I'll look for him in the morning. I'm sure he's fine. She gets up, middle of the night, and she searches for him high and low. What do we, church, what do we do when God hides from us? What does he want us to do? I watched a movie I've only got another 15 minutes, Bryce, so you'll be okay. Um, I watched a movie where um, there was a, a, a husband and wife, they get divorced, and a teenage daughter. It's the husband's fault. And she hates him the whole movie. 
And the whole movie, he's trying his best to reconcile with her. And she doesn't give him the time of day. She wants nothing to do with him. At the end of the movie, he meets her after school. And she gets cross when he does that. She says to him, why are you here? And uh, he says to her, um, I want to read it. I will make it wrong. He says this to her, even though you don't want me, I will come here every day to talk to you and to show you I love you. And she scowls at him, looks at him with disgust, and turns and walks away. And the camera pans, and you see her face, and she's smiling. Because she's happy. She doesn't want him to know, she wants him to earn it, but she's happy that her dad loves her. She's happy that her dad's going to show his love to her and keep coming every day. And when I watched that scene, I thought, what does God want me to do when he hides his face? You might feel like he's hiding his face because he's angry with you. He's hiding his face because there's something wrong with you. He wants you to come after him every day. Come after him. Seek him in his word. Come every day and talk with him. Psalm 27 verse 7 to 9 says this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. God wants you to come after him with all you have. You may have little strength. Come with that. Come as you are. Bring what you have. He won't withdraw for long. You will find nearness to him again. And why does he leave at all? Bryce, I was wanting to have a conversation with you, but the mics aren't going to, so you're going to have to speak loudly. Okay. Do you want this chair back? Before I give this chair back to you, no, just wait a minute. Before I give this chair back to you, do you think you were appreciating this chair when you had it? So, this little time away from the chair, has given Bryce more of an appreciation for the chair than any of us have had. It's a silly illustration. But God doesn't separate himself or pull himself away from you because he doesn't love you or because he's angry with you. God will pull himself away for a variety of reasons, but one of them is he wants us to learn to appreciate his presence so that when you are back with him again, you cling to him that's what she does she, when she finds him she holds him and she won't let go she takes him to her mother's house the mother's house represents a space where you learn your lessons in life most of us learned lessons in our mother's kitchen if we were paying attention so she takes him to her mother's house to the place where she learns all her lessons. God wants you to learn something from a period of withdrawing. There's something he wants to teach you. Maybe he's teaching you, maybe it was sin that caused it. Learn from that. Be watchful over your ways. Don't stray so easily. Maybe he was teaching you patience and endurance. Maybe he was testing you to see what was in your heart. Whatever the reason, don't let go. Learn the lesson he wants you to learn. 
As I close this morning, we see in our text today many seasons of a Christian walk. You will identify with each one of these. And you're only in one of them now probably, but at some point you would have experienced them all. The first is the unexpected visit. None more special than the first time you came to faith. You did not come to faith because of your cleverness, because you were uh, found God in some way. You were dead in your sins. A dead person can do nothing to save themselves. There can be no visit more unexpected than when the light of salvation shines into the heart of an unbeliever. And they come to faith in Christ. The winter of being a slave to sin is over at last. And what follows is a time of delighting in our salvation and our newfound relationship in Christ. We sing, we pray, we are hungry to learn more of Him. Spring is here and love blooms in your heart towards Him. And there will be more unexpected visits in the future where your heart warms to Him in a special way, where there's hunger and vibrancy for Him, the sound of the turtle dove alive in your heart. Oh Lord, may there be more unexpected visits in the hearts of those who've grown cold this morning. Winter is part of this journey. There are many winters, and there's purpose in all of them. In the winter of financial hardship, we learned to trust that provision is from God and not from our skill. My dad was convinced he was skillful in earning money. And he made a lot. But it was only when he lost it all, that's when he's found true treasure, faith in Christ. In the winter of sickness, we learn that safety is not because of health, but it's because of God. My daughter comes up to me the other day, four years old. She's just turned five, but this happened when she was four. And she says, Dad, she's got fear. Dad, she was so afraid. She was shivering when she said this to me. Dad, pray for me that I will never get sick because I don't want to vomit. Sebastian had vomited the night before. And she was just so afraid. She was shaking. And everything in me as the father wanted to... Uh, grab her and answer her prayer. Lord, please, this perfect little angel, never let her get sick. I'm so glad I didn't say that. You know what? I, God gave me the wisdom in the moment. I got down on my knees. I got to her level and I said, Livy, getting sick is part of being alive. You are going to get sick. I'm not going to pray that you will never get sick. But I can see you're scared of being sick. So you know what I do when I get scared? I go to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I'm afraid. Help me know that you're here. And because he's with me, I feel safe. We can pray for that. God lets us experience a winter of sickness. And we can learn that we are safe. Not because of health, but because He is always with us. In the winter of sin, we learn painful consequences. You will go through consequences for your sin. He will be merciful to you when you repent. He will forgive you. But there will be consequences to the choices we've made. But you will learn that no sin can outrun His grace. None of you can say, I've gone too far. I've strayed too far. I can't get back. 
He won't accept me. You might feel that, but I want to say to you this morning, you can't outrun His grace. You might have to walk some difficult consequences. And in the winter of trial and tribulation, you learn patience and endurance. And the roots of your relationship with Christ reach deeper. Suffering is awful, but I've learned far more in my relationship with Christ through my suffering. And I understand why God lets that happen. And I rejoice that it's a short time. I was saying to Bryce uh, just before I got up to preach, Bryce went through something awful. I'm not going to share his testimony. He, you can ask him about it. And he's got a brother who isn't saved. They went through this thing together. And we pray. We pray for our unsaved family. We continue to trust that God can do anything. And through these tough, tough times, you know what my hope is? When you're standing around the bra, all of you have had this conversation recently at the bra. It happened to me on Friday night again. Oh, this country. Oh, the, everything's falling apart. Oh, the interest rates went up 0.5%. I only learned that at the bra. I was like, thank you for that information. Man, there's no hope out there. And there can't be. Because you know where my hope is? It's in Jesus. That's my hope. And maybe we're going to suffer for the next 50 years here. I don't know. But it's short compared to eternity. My trust is in Him. And I pray for those that are lost. And I say, Lord, you're the God of the impossible. There's no one you can't save. There'll be times of struggling with sin and hiding from God. There'll be times of victory over sin through the help of the Spirit. And as every fox is caught and you grow in sanctification, so will you grow in assurance that you are His. And finally, when there are times where God seems far away, if that's where you are today. Someone spoke to me last night. They said, I'm coming back to church, first time in years. Am I even allowed to come back? I'm so broken. I said, we're all broken. Churches where broken people come to say thank you to God. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for helping me get through life. You come. She's coming. She'll be at the next service. If you are there today, seek Him, and you will find that He is nearer than you think. He wants you to find Him. And even in this season, He's going to teach you something about how desperately you need His presence in your life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, every heart is open before you. You see hearts that are far. You see hearts that are near. Hearts that are cold and hearts that are warm. I want to pray, Lord, that your spirit would come in a powerful way even now as we pray. As people sit quietly and think about what they've heard, would you come and minister? Draw us out of the rocks, Lord. Speak truth. May we come, may we rise up. May we leave the winter, the hibernation, and may we come and be with you and believe you and trust that you love us, that you want us, that we can rest in your presence and listen to you and enjoy this relationship. 
Lord, if foxes have come into our minds and we know that's why we are distant, that's why we are hiding, I pray, Lord, that there would be a belief when you say, catch the foxes, that we will obey you. Thank you, Lord, that we don't catch it on our own. You've given us your spirit to guide us, to lead us, to help us. And we can overcome sin now because of you. Thank you, Lord.